Who, if I podcast, would hear me among the angels, hierarchies, and even if one of them pressed me suddenly against his heart, I would be consumed. And that overwhelming existence, poor beauty is nothing but the beginning of terror, which we still are just able to endure, and we are so awed, because it serenely disdains to annihilate us. Who got annihilated, huh? Every angel is terrifying. <laughs> Who annihilated us? Who got annihilated? Oh, that was from uh, Rilke, Rainer Maria Rilke, the first elegy of the Duno elegies. Who, if I cried out, would hear me amongst, uh, among the angels? hierarchies, even if one of them pressed me suddenly against his heart, I would be consumed in that overwhelming existence. <laughs> For beauty is nothing but the beginning of terror, which we still are just able to endure. And we are so awed because it serenely disdains to annihilate us. Every angel is terrifying. The first elegy. The Duno Allergies. <coughs> this is the poetry of uh, Rainer Maria Rilke, Germany, 1875 to 1926. Uh-huh. Are you reading it by Humpster? Is the translator because it's in German. Are you gonna? Re- I thought you were gonna read the German. What happened to that? Oh yeah, you still haven't got. Uh, what was it you were gonna read? Uh, in German, yeah. I'm gonna find a, I have to get the German though. Oh, I see. And then I could read the Buddha inquiry and the Panther or something like that. By translated by Louis Varez. <laughs> oh, okay. Is that right, Louis Varez? Why it sounds so French? <laughs> That's not correct, though. Okay. Hmm. Who's the translator? Oh, it is. No, it's not. Uh, that was the translator. Of, the translator is Stephen Mitchell. Hmm. All right. Hmm. Next poem. What is this poem? I am, oh, anxious one. Don't you hear my voice surging forth in this podcast with all my earthly feelings? <laughs> I am, O oh, anxious one, don't you hear my voice surging forth with all my earthly feelings? You yearn so high that they yearn so high that they have sprouted wings and whitely fly in circles around your face. Whitely? Is that like smiling whitely? Oh, you talked about the concept of whiteness, yeah. Yeah, white. What is whiteness about? It's it's a white, whitely in this case. The poem got whitely. I am a anxious one. Don't you hear my voice surging forth with all my earthly feelings? They yearn so high that they have sprouted wings and whitely in circles around your face. My soul dressed in silence rises up and stands alone before you, can't you see? 
How do you dress your soul in silence and then rise up and stand so alone before you? Can't you see? Don't you know that my prayer is growing ripe upon your vision as a upon a tree? If you are the dreamer, I am what you dream, but when you want to awake, I am your wish. And I go strong with all magnificence and turn myself into a star's vast silence above the strange and distant city, time. Why is time like a strange and distant city? Is that one of the magnificent cities that you're going to? Yeah. Nice poem, though. Yeah, why don't you... That was nice, I think. Uh, hmm. If you are a dreamer, it might be nice, this poem. If you are the dreamer, I am what you dream. This podcast is what you're dreaming of, if you are a dreamer. If you are the dreamer, I am what you dream. But when you want to wake, I am your wish. And I grow strong with all magnificence and turn myself into a star's vast silence. Above the strange and distant city, time. Hmm. Does a star have vast silence? Hmm. I suppose it does. Hmm. And then that girl, the angels, came to visit. She woke also to fruit, frightened by beauty, given love, shy in her, so much blossom. The forest no one had explored, with paths leading everywhere. (laughs) Yeah, when I go to the forest, uh, I'm going to one that no one had explored. Really? With paths leading everywhere. Oh, is that the theme of your your trip? <laughs> yeah. I'm going to the forest that no one had explored with paths leading everywhere. <laughs> wow. How are you going to do that? I thought you needed a GPS or something. Huh? Yeah, where's your hiking GPS? What are you going to do? Yeah, that's a good question. There's a lot of, it's like you drowned and uh, you go to some place like REI and uh, you almost like overdose and all the gadgetry. Necessita, it's necessary. Yeah. You need all that stuff, technology to go into the forest. Yeah. They left her alone to walk and to drift, and the spring carried her along. Her simple and unself-centered merry life became marvelous and castle-like. <laughs> Do you know why uh, unself-centered merry? I don't know if I know any unself-centered, a simple and unself-centered Mary. Life became marvelous and castle-like. Her life resembled 
trumpets on the feast days and that reverberated far inside every house and she once so girlish and fragmented was so plunged ah, now inside her womb and so full inside from that one thing and so full enough for a thousand others that every creature seemed to throw light on her she was like a slope with vines heavily bearing Huh. All of you undisturbed cities, haven't you ever longed for the enemy? I'd like to see you besieged by him for ten endless and ground-shaking years. Huh. Until you were desperate and mad with suffering, finally in hunger, you would feel his weight. He lies outside the walls like a countryside. And he knows very well how to endure longer than the ones he comes to visit. Climb up on your roofs and look out. His camp is there. And his morale doesn't falter. And his numbers do not decrease. He will not grow weaker. And he sends no one into the city to threaten or promise. And no one to negotiate. He is the one who breaks down the walls, and when he works, he works in silence. I wonder who that is. So he is working. So you're not really alone on this trip into the forest, no. And you don't have a GPS, no. You better get one. Don't, can't you get an Apple Watch? I don't know if they even have it. You might have to get a... a Garmin or something. Especially if you encounter paths leading everywhere. <laughs> Are you going to find your way in to the paths leading everywhere? in the forest that no one had explored. Where is that forest? Well, they do have, like, national forests and things that are... They, they're, instead of, like, the national park system, they have the national forest. And they are largely unexplored. Okay, then why don't you go to them? <laughs> Assuming you have a GPS and can find your way in. Yeah. I'm just trying to find my way into the poetry of Rainer Maria Rilke at the moment through English translation by Stephen Mitchell. Okay. This is called The Way In. Whoever you are, some evening take a step out of your house, which you know so well. Okay. Oh, so you're leaving your house... Are you some evening? I thought you were leaving in the morning. Yeah, normally you leave in the morning, but I guess if you're extremely early person, you could leave in... Oh, <laughs> not in the evening. Oh, you could leave in the evening, maybe. No, well, I don't know. I would leave in the morning, I think, the way in. Whoever you are, some evening, take a step out of your house, which you know so well. Enormous space is near. 
Your house lies where it begins. Interesting concept here. There's an enormous space is near. Your house lies where it begins. Oh, okay. So all this stuff you're going to, this forest that no one explored is an enormous space near you. Your house lies where it begins, whoever you are. Your eyes find it hard to tear themselves from the sloping threshold, but your eyes slowly, slowly lift one black tree up so it stands against the sky, skinny alone. Oh, wow. Are you going to be skinny and alone? Yeah, I'll be. I'm fairly skinny. I just need to do a day fast occasionally. <laughs> yeah, you keep getting fat, more gordo, more fatter, right? The more you eat. Yeah, well, <laughs> I do intermittent fasting, so I could be skinny again and can be alone. Uh, well, you can go alone, I guess. Yeah. Your eyes find it hard to tear themselves from the sloping threshold. But with your eyes, slowly, slowly lift up one black tree up. So it stands against the sky, skinny, alone. With that, you have made the world. The world is immense, and like a word that is still growing in the silence... In the same moment that your will grasp it, your eyes feeling its subtlety will leave it. Hmm. That's the sort of the way to go, I guess. Oh, is that the way that you're going? Yeah. That's how I get there, I guess. Well, are you using poetry? Yes, here. Guidebook. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I should have an actual guidebook, maybe. Why don't you get Lonely Planet or something if you're not, if you are lonely and still on this planet? That way you could find the way in. I know you try to learn about these people like Orpheus and Eridice and Hermes and You may have some idea from your research, but but these young people, people these days, don't have classics, have not got their PhD in Greek classics, so so they don't seem to know anything hardly at all about about it. Yeah, that's true. So go ahead and try to read it anyways. Okay. This is Orpheus, Eridice, and Hermes. It says, That was the deep, uncanny mine of souls like veins of silver ore. They silently moved through its massive darkness. Blood welled up among the roots and on its way to the world of men. And in the dark it looked as hard as stone, nothing else was red. There were cliffs there and forests made of mist. There were bridges spanning the void and that great gray blind lake 
which hung above its distant bottom, like the sky on a rainy day. A bubble landscaped, and through the gentle, unresisting meadows, one pale path unrolled like a strip of cotton. Wow. Also, one path, pale path, unrolled. Yeah. Oh, so I thought you had paths leading everywhere. Yeah, but this is one pale path unrolled like a strip of cotton. Hmm. Down this path they were coming. In front, the slender man in the blue cloak, mute and impatient, looking straight ahead. And large, greedy, unchewed bites his walk devoured the path. His hands hung at his side, tight and heavy, and out of the falling folds, no longer conscious of the delicate lyre, which had grown into his left arm like a slip of roses grafted onto an olive tree. His senses felt as though they were split in two. His sight would race ahead of him like a dog. Does your sight race ahead of you like a dog? <laughs> If you had a dog, his sight could race ahead of him like a dog, yeah. That doesn't mean you need a dog. It's just poetry. You need poetry, not a dog. Okay, God. His senses felt as though they were split in two. His sight... His sight would race ahead of him like a dog, stop, come back, then rushing off again, would stand impatient at the path's next turn. But his hearing, like an odor, stayed behind his hearing. Oh, your hearing is your transcendental music capacity, listening capacity of listening to the nod sound, your current, staying behind, yeah. Oh, your ability to hear the music of the spheres has stayed behind, yeah. Okay. Hmm. Sometimes it seemed to him as though it reached back to the footsteps of those other two who were to follow him up the long path home. Are they going to come with you? Up the long path home. Are you taking a long path home? Yeah, the the path that I'm taking is rather long because uh, I'm not going, uh, not going home. <laughs> Where is your home? But then once more, it was just his own steps, echo, and the wind inside his cloak uh, that made the sound. He said to himself. They had to be behind him and and said it aloud and heard it fade away. They had to be behind him, but their steps were ominously soft. If only he could turn around and just once, but looking back would ruin his entire work. So near completion. Yeah, that's why I can't look back, really. I can't turn around if I, if only I cannot turn around just once, but because looking back would ruin my entire work so near this completion. Yeah. So don't look back if you're going to complete your your work making photographs and uh, writing poetry and 
in Vermont or something. Huh? On your path, long path home, yeah. If only he could turn around just once, but looking back would ruin his entire work, so near completion. Then he could not fail to see them, those other two who followed him so softly. Who is following you, anyways? Hmm. Who's following who? Is Hermes following you, or Eridice, or Orpheus? Are you taking the path like Orpheus? And why is that so? Where's your dog? You don't have to. Do you have a dog? Hmm. Hmm. The god of speed and distant messages. A traveler's hood above his shining eyes. His slender staff held. Oh, you need a walking stick. Don't forget that. Your slender staff. Do you have like a hiking pole? Yeah, you should get a hiking stick. Oh, don't forget that. Yeah, you should have your stick. You have that nice one. That one from, from like, uh, Australia. That lightweight one that's got the, that's like hollow inside. Australia. Don't forget your hiking stick. Oh, yeah, a good point. <laughs> Put it on the list. Hiking pole. Okay. You need your hiking stick. Yeah. Yeah, you were going hiking, I thought. Yeah, I'll probably do some hiking now. Hmm. Who's going to follow you on the hike? Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Uh... The god of speed and distant messages, a traveler's hood above his shining eyes, his slender staff held out in front of him, and the little wings fluttering at his ankles, and on his left arm, barely touching it, she, a woman so loved that from one liar there came more lament than from all lamenting women, that a whole world of lament arose, in which all nature reappeared, forest and valley road and village, field and stream, and animal, and that around this lament world. Even as around the other earth, a sun revolved and a silent star filled heaven. Hmm. Wow. A silent star filled heaven, a lament heaven with its own disfigured stars. So greatly was she loved, Hmm. Wow. Hmm. Who's the woman? A woman so loved that from one liar there there came more lament than from all lamenting women. That a whole world of lament arose in which all nature reappeared. Forest and valley, road and village, fish, field and stream, and animal, and that around this lament world. Even as around the other earth, the sun revolved in a silent star-filled heaven, a lament heaven, and with its own disfigured stars. So greatly was she loved. But now she walked beside the graceful God, her steps constricted by the trailing grave cloths. Uh, 
grave clothes, uncertain, gentle, and without impatience. She was deep within herself, like a woman heavy with child, and did not see the man in front or the path ascending deeply into life. Uh, seems she got stuck up into her own issues. She was deep within herself. Oh... Well, she's deep within herself and did not see the man in front or the path ascending steeply into life. Uh -huh. Yeah, she's not seeing uh, the path ascending. Uh -huh. But now she walked beside the graceful God, her steps constricted by the trailing grave clothes, uncertain, gentle, and without a patience. She was deep within herself, like a woman heavy with child, and did not see the man in front. Or the path ascending steeply into life, deep within herself, uh, being dead, filled her beyond fulfillment, like a fruit suffused with its own mystery and sweetness. <laughs> she was filled with her vast death which was so new she could not understand that it had happened. Wow. She had come into a new virginity and was untouchable. Her sex had closed like a young flower at nightfall, and her hands had grown so unused to marriage that the God's infinitely gentle touch of guidance hurt her like a undesired kiss. <laughs> She was no longer that woman with blue eyes who once had echoed through the poet's songs, no longer the wide couches, scent, and island, and that man's pro property no longer. Yeah, she's not a, a man's property. She was already loosened like long hair, poured out like fallen rain, shared like a limitless supply. She was already root, and when abruptly the god put out his hand to stop her, saying, with sorrow in his voice, he has turned around, she could not understand, and softly answered, Who? Far away, dark before the shining exit gates, someone or other stood whose features were unrecognizable. He stood and saw how on the strip of road among the meadows with the mournful look. The god of messages silently turned to follow the small figure already walking back along the path, her steps constricted by the trailing grave clothes, uncertain, gentle, and without impatience. <laughs> now, that's an interesting poem. Orpheus, Eridice, and Hermes. Yeah, maybe if you look up and do some analysis, you look up Orpheus, Aradisi, and Hermes. Yeah, they vaguely, I vaguely remember them, but I didn't see them all together, though. Huh. There must be a story in mythology that he used. Yeah. So, though, there must be something up the long path home.
Do you feel you must change your life? Yeah. Even if you are a hardcore military grade meditation practitioner, you still uh, that you you may have you must change your life. Sometimes on the exterior side. Oh, I see. Are you gonna change? I think it's gonna change. Do you have a poem? A poem with respect to that issue? Yeah, I think so. Let's see. Let's see. These coffee things, you have to pour the coffee. Oh, I see. Do you have any chocolate and coffee? Yeah, you've got to take chocolate with you. You're not going to change that, no. I'm going to continue. I have to buy a bunch of chocolate because it may not be uh, available outside New York. Okay. This one is a poem. I'm continuing with the poem poetry of Rainer Maria Rilke and will be continuing with the new poems of David Smith and uh, the other activities. This one is called Archaic Torso of Apollo. I think that Rilke lived with studied with Rodin, so he was exposed to sculptures. Archaic torso of Apollo. We cannot know his legendary head with eyes like ripening fruit, and yet his torso is still suffused with brilliance from inside, like a lamp in which his gaze now turned to low gleams in all its power. Otherwise, the curved breast could not dazzle you so, nor could a smile run through the placid hips and thighs to that dark center where procreation flared. Otherwise, a stone would seem defaced beneath the translucent cascade of the soldiers and would sold shoulders and would not glisten like a wild beast fur would not from all the borders of itself burst like a star. For here there is no place that does not see you. You must change your life. Oh, you have to. Oh, yeah. Okay, then you are, yeah. You must change your life. Yeah. You said you were going to read Rilke. How are you going to read it? You're going to read it in German? <laughs> yeah. Okay, then go ahead. Uh, this one is uh, Buddha in Der Glory. Mitte aller Mitten. Kern de Kern. Mandel die Sik ein und versuchte. Dieses alles bis an alles derne ist dein Fruchtflesch asse gegrüßte. Seh de Frucht wie nicht mehr an der Hangste und im unendlichen ist deine Schale 
und dort drei Durstag saft und trank unerwarnt scheißen leicht und gestrahlten gan oben werden deiner Sonnen und grund gehangt doch in der es schon begannen was die Sonnen und Stein oh my goodness I can't do it <laughs> I guess that doesn't kind of sound very good. Huh? <sighs> well, the poem is Buddha in Glory. It, it uh, comes, it's uh, better in English as center of all centers, core of cores, almond self enclosed and growing sweet. All this universe to the furthest stars, all beyond them is your flesh, your fruit. Now you feel how nothing clings to you. Your vast shell reaches into endless space, and there the rich, thick fluids rise and flow, illuminated in your infinite peace. A billion stars go spinning through the night, blazing high above your head. But in you is the presence that will be when all the stars are dead. Hmm. That sounds better. That's uh, translated by Stephen Mitchell. Oh, okay. Hmm. Buddha in glory. Is he in glory? Yeah. Even if you walk, if you broke up with your girlfriend, we still walk out together anyway. We still go out again. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. This next poem uh, is called Again and Again. Again and again, even if we know the countryside of love and the teeny churchyard with its names mourning and the chasm, more and more silence, silent, terrifying, into which the others dropped. We walk out together anyway, beneath the ancient trees. We lie down again, again among the flowers, and face the sky. Hmm. Hmm. Again and again. Huh? Poems amount to so little. Well, if there's so little amount to nothing, why are you writing them or podcasting them or why reading them if nobody's listening and you're not getting anything out of it then what good is a poem okay god poems amount to so little okay in what case do they amount to nothing <laughs> Well, you may have been written too early. I'm not sure if you're old enough, but I'm pretty old, though. If you take, like, the age of a caveman or something. I'm way past uh, mortality of the caveman. I'm older. Oh, okay. So you follow the Paleolithic aging format. <laughs> the Paleolithic... Uh, Longevity. Uh -huh. Oh, you're a Paleolithic longevicist? Yeah. Oh, I see. Then what's this poem about? Well, this one is sort of named for the sake of a single poem. Uh, 
know if it's a poem or if it's about how how he writes poetry. Well, this is how to write poetry. Yeah, this is sort of how... It's really about how it belongs under how to write poetry. Do they have some website, like a how-to thing? How to do stuff? Yeah, I think they do. This is how to write poetry. Oh, ah. Poems amount to so little when you write them too early in your life. You ought to wait and gather sense and sweetness for a whole lifetime and a long one, if possible. And then at the very end, you might perhaps be able to write ten good lines. Yeah, I write hundreds and hundreds of lines, and I only have a few good lines. Well, that's right, you have the best of David Gravy you have. You have all these poems, and only a few lines are any good. That's correct. Oh, you have the famous lines of David Gravy, yeah. You might perhaps be able to write ten lines, good lines. For poems are not, as people think, simply emotions. Yeah, they're not. Uh, that's my point, too. Poems are not, as people think, simply emotions. One has emotions early enough. They are experiences. Oh. Oh, I see. So your poems are not emotions? No. Their experiences. <laughs> From what? What experiences? From drinking too much coffee or chocolate. <laughs> yeah, that's where they come from. For the sake of a single poem, you must see many cities, many people, and things. You must understand animals, must feel how birds fly, and know the gesture which small flowers make when they open in the morning. Oh, is that why you're looking at flowers in the morning? I guess I'm trying to figure out to know the gesture which small flowers make when they open in the morning. You must be able to think back to streets in unknown neighborhoods, to unexpected encounters and to partings you had long seen coming. Yeah, have you seen your parting coming? Yeah. Have you seen your parting coming? Yeah. Two partings you have long seen coming, two days of childhood, whose mystery is still unexplained. Two parents whom you had to hurt when they brought in a joy and you didn't pick it up. It was a joy meant for somebody else. Two childhood illnesses that began so strangely with so many profound and difficult transformations. Two days in quiet, restrained rooms, two mornings by the sea, to the sea itself, two seas, two nights of travel that rushed along high overhead and went flying with all that, all the stars. And it is still not enough to be able to think of all that. Yeah, that's still not enough. Yeah, I was saying uh, it's not enough. Yeah, what were you saying was not enough? Yeah. 
You must have memories of many nights of love, each one different from all the others. Memories of women screaming in labor and of white, pale, sleeping girls who have just given birth and are coming again, are closing again. But you must also have been beside the dying and must have sat beside the dead in the room with the open window and the scattered noises. Do you have... Yeah, I have scattered noises here, at least. And it is not yet enough to have memories. You must be able to forget them when they are many. Oh, you're saying I have to be able to forget? You must be able to forget them when they are many. And you must have the immense patience to wait until they return. Oh, really? Also, I have to forget them and then wait for them to return. For the memories themselves are not important. For the memories themselves are not important. Only when they have changed into our very blood, into glance and gesture, and our name must no longer to be distinguished from ourselves. Only then can it happen that in some very rare hour, the first word of a poem arises in their midst and goes forth from them. Also, that's how you write a poem, huh? I think so. Yeah, he says you can't write one, actually. You can't, you have to wait till you're old or something. You have to forget all your memories. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, and then you have to wait for them to come back again. Huh. Yeah, I don't know. Because this podcast amounts to so little. If your poems don't amount to nothing until you get old and your memories fade and come back, then why bother telling us about your childhood? And and when are you finishing your autobiography? Well, I already did the first half, so I don't know. I don't know if I have much to say about the first half. What's the first half mean, Oh, the, is it the first third? Are you living actually longer? Or can you tell us something about your childhood? Uh, well, no, I can tell you about Rilke's childhood in his poem. Okay, this is childhood of Rilke's poems. Uh-huh. He says, Time in school drags along with so much worry. Oh, is that true of kids today? Yeah. School is a big drag. Let's face it. It's such a drag. You can move much quicker on your iPhone and playing with your phone and stuff. It's much faster. Yeah. Okay. So they should get out of school and just play video games, maybe. Yeah, time in school drags along with so much worry. And waiting, yeah, they wait around. 
They're either waiting for the bus or the lining up to get out. Or they have to wait to get into school and to get out. And they may have to check their vaccine. And, uh, they have to check their temperature and, and things so dumb and stupid. Oh, yeah. So there's a lot of dumb and stupid stuff going on. Oh, you don't think you think that's dumb and stupid? No. Time in school drags along with so much worry and waiting. Things so dumb and stupid. Oh, loneliness. Oh, heavy, limpish time. Free at last. Lights and colors and noises. Water leaps out of fountains into the air, and the world is so huge in the woody places. And moving through it in your short clothes, and you and you don't walk the way the others do. Such marvelous time, such time passing on, such loneliness. I don't know, is school lonely? Thought hmm. not being in school was lonely, huh? How strange to see into it all from far away, men and women. There's a man, one more woman. Children's bright colors make them stand out. And here a house, and now, and then the dog, and terror all at once, replaced by total trust. What crazy morning, what dream, what heaviness, what deepness without end. And playing a hop. And a bat, and a ball, in some green place as the light fades away. And not noticing, you brush against a grown-up, rushing blindly around in tag, half-crazed. But when the light fades, you go with small puppet, puppet-y home, steps home, your hand firmly held, such oceanic vision that is fading, such a constant worry, such weight, Sometimes also kneeling for hours on end with a teeny sailboat at a grayish pond. All forgotten because sails more beautiful than yours go on crossing the circles and one had to think always about the pale, narrow face looking up as it sank down. Oh, childhood, what was us going away? Going where, where? Huh. Where are you going, huh? Where, where are you going? Going, you're going where or where? Where are you going? Hmm. Oh, I see. Hmm. I'm just waiting right now because things are so... Dumb and stupid.